Well, the notices will go up at the end, so if you missed them this morning, they will come up at the end, and so we'll do that. I'm just going to pray more for my sake than anything else before I preach. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate together. We thank you that we can come and hear your word. And Lord, this morning as we look at your word, I ask that you would uh, speak to each one of us, that the words that I speak would be from you, Lord, that you would take the words and transform our hearts. And so we open ourselves to you this morning as our Lord and King. Come and have your way, Lord, we pray, that you would be glorified and honored in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're carrying on our series through the book of Titus. And <coughs> last week, if you remember, if you were here, we went through Titus chapter 1, verse 8, uh, and we looked at the first half of that, because I didn't get to the second half, and we looked at what it meant to be um, hospitable and loving what is good. And this morning, we are going to look at the second part of Titus chapter 1, verse 8, and uh, it reads as this. The whole verse says this. Uh, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, that's what we looked at last week, and uh, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And we know that, um, as we've been looking, he, it, it's Paul writing to Titus on the island of Crete. He's speaking to him about leaders, but actually it's about more than that. It's about every believer, that leaders aren't separated from the believers, but they walk in front as an example. So actually what we're looking for here. Is, is what is true for every believer and every <coughs> follower of Jesus rather than only some. But before we go into that, just a reminder, hopefully that we would have been reminded of that through our worship this morning of our position in Christ. We've looked at that a number of times where our position is in Christ is secure because of the blood of Jesus. We are justified by faith in Jesus. We are made righteous and secure because of what Jesus has done. And that's our position and our standing in Christ Jesus. Yet at the same time, we have the condition of our lives, which isn't quite lining up with that at the moment because we are trying to work that through. And as we cooperate with God, as we follow after Him and um, obey His leading and guiding, that we are then being made righteous. In other words, we're being sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's the process of our lives here on earth with the purpose of declaring his glory, his goodness, and the gospel so that others would come to a saving faith in him. But our, our condition is quite different from our position. Our position is secure, but our condition sometimes as we respond to God, sorry, <coughs> some days we can feel that our condition in him is probably a little bit better than it was yesterday. And other times we think, well, actually, it's, it, I could... I need a bit of help, but in, in the whole picture, remember how we started the series. It is by grace that we have been saved through Jesus, and it is by grace that we walk in victory and freedom through the Holy Spirit, and it's God's grace that enables us to live as He's called us to live, to be transformed, to become more and more like Him. So it's really important that we understand that before we go into spirit, probably because Actually, when we look at self-discipline or self-control and discipline, and those two we're going to highlight this morning, purely because actually being upright and holy, if we walk self-controlled and disciplined and following after God, the product is that we would be upright and holy. Make sense? But as we come to this, self-control and discipline aren't usually words that we like, if we're perfectly honest. 
Because usually if we say, well, we need to be disciplined or have self-control, it normally in our own human thinking entails hard work, sacrifice, maybe our, our minds jump, depending on where we are, jump to sport and training, maybe it jumps to military and discipline, maybe it jumps to, I don't know, diets, and I don't know what your train of thought is, but very seldom do we like the word self-controlled or discipline in our humanness. Yet it's something that God clearly says, speaking through Paul to Titus, comes up time and time again through this short letter and other places in the Word that we're to be self-controlled and disciplined. We don't like it because it's normally an uncomfortable means to an end. And we'd love to be there, but we don't really want to go through this process. It's like we'd really like to be super fit and healthy, well, some of us would, uh, but we don't really want to go through the pain of the gym. Yet it's that process that God calls us to walk in obedience to him day in and day out. And this letter, like I said, it comes up time and time again where Paul says to Titus that leaders should be self-controlled and disciplined. Teach the old men to be self-controlled. Teach the older women to be self-controlled so that they may teach the younger women. Teach the young men and he also teach the slaves. And he also says, set an example yourself. So if you're in any doubt that this wasn't just for some small elite group of people, it's very clear that he says everybody is to live in this realm of self-discipline, self-control and discipline, not just some. And in this process, as you read through this book, we'll see where he instructs certain groups. He says, instruct them so that they can teach. Instruct them so that they can impart. And so... (coughs) It's really important that we understand this, that actually God's instruction for us, even in this area, if we look at it in the context of this, of self-control and discipline, but in every area, his instruction for us is far greater than us. Because each one of us have a responsibility to impart and equip and train each other and others. And we see this pattern as he lays it out very clearly in, in Titus. Older men do this, teach younger. Older women to teach younger. And I, I think that might be an age thing, but it's also a maturity thing. But the principle is this, is that God has invested things in each one of us. And as we respond to him, our response isn't just for ourselves, but for those around you. And that every response we have to God, every choice we make, every decision we make actually impacts those around us. And so we have a responsibility before God, every single one of us, to take what he has given to us and give that to others. Those that are lost so that they will know the gospel. Those that are believers that walk this life with us so that we would be discipled and encouraged and strengthen one another to a place of maturity and fruitfulness. That's what it means to be the family of God living in community that we actually receive what we receive from him. We encourage and strengthen one another with. Not just some people, but all of us. And so as believers, our lives and our choices in response to the truth of God's word and other things has an impact and a responsibility that's far beyond you as an individual. We kind of get that as parents because actually, and we see it with regard to our family or our children, but actually it goes beyond that. Your choices 
And decisions have an impact on those sitting in front of you, those behind you, those in community with you, those in your household, those in the church community. Every decision has an impact and a responsibility for them. And when we understand that, then we understand (coughs) that actually we should take uh, a a little more, or pay a little bit more attention to how we respond to God. You see, our desire should be that we would walk in unity with Him, but also with each other. That we would follow Him wholeheartedly, but that with each other we would encourage one another, build one another up, equip, strengthen, so that we would all grow in Him. And so that's why, as Paul teaches, it's not just for them, it's for them to impart to others. In the same way, as we read the Scripture, it's not just for us. It's for us and our impact on those around us. And so we need to be able to put those things into practice as we follow after him. In, in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, he clearly says to Titus, set an example in your speech, in your preaching, and all those things. And it's the same for us. What we give ourselves to, <coughs> the choices we make, have an impact on those around us. Whether it be choices about whether you show up or not, whether you, whether you pray, whether you read the Word, whether you obey God, whether you, how you use your time, how you use your finance, how you engage with others, all of that, your attitudes, your choices of how you respond to Him, what you, it has impacts on other people. And so for me, that, that's understanding that we to live with a bigger picture view of our lives. Not that we would think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but understanding that God calls us to, if I can use this term, big picture living which is God has a plan and a purpose for you and he puts you in community and every choice, every decision, every response to him has got a big picture impact. I know God's bigger than us, but he works through us so that our decisions, our choices, our responses to him, our surrendering to him impacts those around us. So let's live our lives with a bigger picture vision of actually as God speaks, I respond not just for me in my life, But I realize that actually I have to do that first and foremost. Because you can't set an example of something you haven't put in place. So we have to take these, put it in place. It's no good taking these things and then just instructing others without putting them in place. Because that's hypocritical, but also that's not what they're going to catch. But we need to understand that actually these things are bigger than us. So as we look at this of self-discipline and uh, self-control and discipline, look at it with a big picture view. That how we respond to him in these things, just as how we responded to him in all the other things he speaks of, has an impact in first and foremost in your life. But then you are not an island, you are part of a family and a body. And every way you respond then has an impact on those around you for the kingdom positively or negatively. But if we look at that, then we suddenly, it puts a greater importance on how we respond to the things of the Word of God. So this morning, I want to look at these things. And I hope you're getting that, that it's beyond ourselves. I don't think it's any different (coughs) how God, through Paul, 
was speaking to the people of the church in Crete about self-control, discipline, hospitality, and all, uh, and all these other things that we've looked at already, I don't think it's anything different from calling. I think it's a different time, yes, and maybe things with a different, slightly different forms. But if you read historically, there were all sorts of evil and compromise and immorality and all sorts of stuff that was going on in Crete that seemed very, very obvious and idolatry and everything. I can guarantee you the principles are exactly the same that's going on in crawling. Might look slightly different, but the same things of idolatry, immorality, worshipping other gods uh, without an understanding of the future or the past or a hope of anything and their need for salvation is just as much as it was there. And so God's encouraging and, and instructing them to be self-controlled and disciplined is as important for us in Crawley as it was for them in Crete. And so when we listen to this this morning, we should be saying, God, show us so that actually as we follow you, others can follow us as we follow you. That what you're putting into our lives can have an impact beyond because our purpose for still being here on earth is what? Not so that we can have a fun time, but so that we can preach the gospel and people are saved through us, through what God's doing in and through us. But it requires us first to respond to him and all of that's a very long intro. But we need to understand that it's a bigger picture and we live in a fallen world where we need Jesus. And we need the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at that and we look at the world and the world's, ever, like I said the other week, everything is fighting for our attention. Everything is fighting to draw us away with distractions and patterns of behavior and saying, look at this and behave like that. And, and actually we need to be self-controlled in all sorts of areas, whether it be finance, time, relationships, words, attitudes. You just look at your life and you need, we need self-control. And as we look at this, self-control is both something we give ourselves to, but also the fruit of the Spirit. We know that from Galatians. So it's uh, and the fruit of the Spirit, which we're not looking at today, but, it, but you'll see how it all ties in anyway. It's the product of the Spirit of God living in us as we surrender ourselves to Him. But self-control is also something that we give ourselves to. So I want to look, first and foremost, at what that means. It's interesting that the origins of the word... I know some like the origins of the word. The origins of the word self-control actually come from the same as the origins of the word of diaphragm. Seems a bit weird. But the, a diaphragm, the origins are the same because of this. It says that the inner outlook that regulates the outward behavior. Just as a diaphragm, now I need to be careful because there's some medical people around. And from what I can understand, a diaphragm, I mean, you have diaphragmatic breathing, I think it is, Actually, the diaphragm internally creates the ability to breathe. And how we breathe using the diaphragm actually can it have an impact on our heart rate if we breathe from the diaphragm. That's not right? Diaphragmatic breathing? There we go. The scientists said yes. <laughs> have to check. So just there, as that, so the origins of the word are there. That it is an inner outlook that regulates an outer behavior. And we think self-control is making ourselves being able to do everything. Biblically, if you look at the origin of uh, the, 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 the word in the concordance and strongs and the Greeks and everything else, the biblical explanation of what it means to be self-controlled is this. 
one who does not command himself, but rather is commanded by God. Or, and this is one I love, living in God-defined balance. Living in God-defined balance. And if you look at the word discipline, it means controlling oneself or, or, or mastered from within. So now if you put those together in the context of Scripture, if you combine those together in conjunction with our understanding as a believer that when we get saved, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ in me. For us to actually understand that it, it, it requires us to be surrendered to Him and the Spirit of God living in us and keeping in step with the Spirit and that He is the one who is in control, it puts a whole different emphasis on what it means to live a self-controlled, disciplined, disciplined life. It's actually not so much to do with self-achievement and more to do with surrender. Think of how that would it should transform how we view our lives being self-controlled. Because if self-control is being mastered from within, who, as a believer, is the master? Not you. It should be the Holy Spirit. And so actually, for us to live disciplined, self-controlled lives in a way that is God-defined balance is that the master of our inner world must be the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. Our will submitted and subjected, subject to His. In essence, as a believer, if we actually lived our lives submitted fully, subject to His will and His way and His word, then we will live in a God-balanced, God-controlled life. The challenge is, we always seem to view self-control and discipline as something that is external or something that we have to try and do, rather than some, a, a way of submission and living. See what I'm trying to say? If we understand that actually the only way we can do that is how? The power of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? By keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So no wonder self-control is something we give ourselves to as in surrender, but also the fruit of the Spirit, because as we surrender, the Spirit of God is working in us, and therefore it is being outworked through us. So in actual fact, self-control is not what you try and do. It's surrendering to Him and doing what He says you to do. That's why it falls in line with that, uh, that definition in, in the concordance of a God-balanced life. You see, if it's not taken from God and doing it His way, then it's taken from us and doing it our way or what the world or a book or a podcast or but it is not God 
And then no wonder we can't manage to control, be living with self-control or, or a God-balanced life because we're not submitting ourselves to Him. When we submit to Him and do it His way, then those things fall in place. Uh, and that's how we live our lives, following after Him. There's a, there's a man that some of you would know that... Um, I've known for a very, very long time. His name's Ray Oliver. He's part of the translatal team that we work on. He, um, Yvonne and I have known him since we were, I think I first encountered him when I must have been about nine years old. He's, he was the man who baptized me. He was, we were up in Liverpool a few weeks ago, and he was ministering there. He's, he's 80. He and his wife are, are still ministering all over the world. They'd been in the UK for two weeks. They were going back to Africa. Then they were going... Uh, Zimbabwe or Namibia or somewhere for another ministry trip and then going back. And so after his two weeks here, he still had about another two or three weeks before he could rest. 80 years old. Ministering in, with the sense of God's call, the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of his, what he was saying was just explaining, because someone asked, how, how is it that at 80 you're still doing this? He said, because daily I surrender my life to God. Daily I get up, and the first thing I do is I grab a cup of coffee, because he and God have got this understanding that he needs a cup of coffee. But every single day, he spends time in the Word, praying, waiting on God, saying, God, what do you want to do today? What do you want from me today? He goes for a walk, talking to God, every single day, even when he's traveling. And even then, the next day he came in and he said, this weather is terrible. My shoes are soaked through. I need to get different kind of shoes to wear in England because it's too wet. But you see, there's, that, there's someone whose consistency of ministry and life and the power of God ministering through at the age of 80, still going through. Why? Because he's understood that it's more about surrender than about trying. It's about encountering God and being with him and allowing him to transform us from the inside out because why? It's being mastered from within, and who's the master within? It's either you or God. This week, I uh, also had the privilege, and uh, doing it again this coming week, uh, this week, coming, but this past week, I met with uh, a, a, a man who's a few weeks off 90, who loves God, who every week prays, for, uh, I'm joining him this coming Tuesday with other people. Sometimes it's for an hour. Sometimes it's like three hours. Just And, and he's been involved in uh, pastoring churches before, uh, before. I mean, he's retired for 45 years. He got saved and was, had worked with people who'd been in different revivals and everything else. But at n close on 90. Still surrendering daily and in my a conversation with him his his heart was i want to know what god wants to do he wasn't asking me that it was just this this desire in his heart god i i'm wanting we, we're wanting to see a revival come we want to see people get saved we want to see your spirit move it's been too long and how can you 90 years old why because he's understood this it's all about surrender and a God-balanced life where He is first and our choices are subject to that. That's why a few weeks ago I gave that challenge about doing 
uh, your devotional time with God without distraction of technology. It was a simple task. I don't know who did or didn't do it. But it was a simple, cool, simple task to show us that actually you have a choice. You have a choice how we devote our time to God or not. And if you say, well, I haven't got a paper Bible, come talk to me, I'll give you one. But we are so distracted by so many things, but it was there just so that we actually could, it's a simple thing of, we have a choice how we engage or how we don't. How we respond or how we don't. How we allow Him to lead or how we don't. And most of the times, we don't do those things because we know that for us to move deeper in God, for us to move beyond into the other things of a God-balanced life requires us to change some things. Because God never changes because He's perfect. He always has our best at heart. And often we shy away from those things because actually we quite enjoy doing the things we doing them or like how we're doing them. Now, I'm not saying that they have to be sinful, but sometimes in different seasons, God requires different things from us. So our reliance on God, our time with God, our surrender to Him, our hearing from Him in every situation is key for us living in a God-defined balance. How would you know what God wants you to do if you don't spend time with Him? How would we know if we don't hear His voice? How would we know if we don't even ask Him? It's so that we can respond and live. Why? Because our lives have a greater impact than just ourselves. Self-control and discipline require us to surrender. Surrender the Lordship of our lives to Him and follow His leading. And the only way we can do that is by spending time with Him and asking Him. If you look in the Old Testament, if you read through where um, both Joshua and David, there are times that they did incredible things for God and there are other times that they presumed and didn't inquire of God and then it got them into trouble. See, I think too often we just presume and we do rather than pause and say, God, what do you want? What do you want me to adjust? What do you want me to change? What do you, where do you want me to grow? See, the thing is this, is that things that might be permissible might not be beneficial. So the things that we could do might not actually be beneficial for us, but how would we know if we don't ask God? And there's so many books written on balance and everything else. Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. If you come back to Jesus, surrender to Him, live with Him. But if we're to grow in Him, if we're to see breakthrough in our lives, in the church, in the nation, and the nations and beyond, I think we need to consider our way of life and ask Him to come and speak. Consider it prayerfully, honestly, without excuse, and say, God, come and show me where I need to adjust what I need to change so that I can live in your defined balance. That I can live with you as the center of my inner being that creates and produces life in me through the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another challenge. Do yourself a favor, really. 
and also those around you. Remember the whole thing of actually our responses have impact beyond. This week, it might take a little bit of effort. But this week, I, I challenge you to, to monitor. Now, don't change your behavior because you know what we're looking at. I'm not going to check up on you. Don't worry. Monitor your life this week. What you give your time to, what you give your thinking and your thoughts to, what you give your attitude and your money to, what you spend time doing and not doing. Consider your life. Your decision making. Consider it this week. And at the end of the week, just have a look and see how much you spent on different things. And see how much of that is spent going to God and Him being the central focus of your week and your day and your decision making. Then take all of that to Him and surrender it to Him and say, God, show me where I need to make the adjustments so that I can grow in You. And can I say that if your immediate response is this, no, not for me, that's your revelation, not mine. Then I think it's probably most definitely for you. <laughs> because if our responses know not me, what you're saying is, and I'm not God, He is. And so what I'm asking you to do is not consider your life for my sake, but consider your life in light of God's grace and God's leading and God's truth for your sake. And say, God, what do you need me to change? What is it that you're challenging me with? It might be an attitude. It might, and, it's, uh, and, and in that, I, I believe God will not only challenge, but he will also encourage and strengthen because he's not one who says, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. He's a father who loves you, who will point those things out that he wants you to adjust. Not that you think you want to adjust or someone else thinks you want to adjust or the areas that you're happy to adjust, but not those ones. That's right. Prayerfully take them to God and ask him to speak into it so that we can live self-controlled, disciplined lives in all godliness where he is the center, he is the one who commands the response. And our lives are surrendered to him. Then we live a God-balanced life. And the fruit of that is self-control, upright, holy, and disciplined. So remember this. It's not to do with how much you try, it's how much you surrender. Pretty much Christian living can be summarized in that. It's all about how much we surrender to Jesus. Attitudes, things, everything. Why? Because when we come to him, we're paid with a price, we are made new, we are righteous, we are justified, we are secure, our names are written like it came through in the blood of the Lamb. That's our position, but as we walk in intimacy with him, we are transformed. You can't be transformed if you're not walking in intimacy. You can't be self-controlled and disciplined if you're not surrendering to Him as Lord. 
and he's our Savior and our Lord. And so surely as we come to him, as we live surrendered, we need to be those who don't take commands from ourselves, but take it from him. The author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has created us, the one who's written our names in the Lamb's book of life, the one who knows everything about you, knows every challenge, every concern, every past, every future, everything. Surrender to him. And as we do that, it impacts our lives and those around us. And the world needs Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and meet with each one of us, minister to each one of us. Lord, we understand that these things are only possible through you. And so this morning, where we have tried to make things work and tried in our own strength, Lord, this morning we acknowledge that you are Savior and we submit to you as Lord. God, I ask that each one of us would live our lives with you at the center, the one who is in authority. And when things happen, people come across our lives, situations come, Father, our immediate response is, God, what are you saying? What do you want to show me? What do I need to do? What next? Lord, that we would live Holy Spirit-led, God-balanced lives that reflect you, Jesus. Lord, that as we live in this world, but not of this world, we choose to live your way, not ours. And so, Father, this morning, we surrender ourselves to you. And we ask that you would come and rule and reign in each one of our lives as King and Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Encourage, strengthen, refresh, convict where necessary so that we would grow in our walk with you in intimacy and relationship with you and be transformed. God, we surrender to you. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Hope that was helpful. There is tin coffee at the back and there's tin coffee through there. If you're wanting to stay for lunch, lunch is here today. So um, that and home gifts as well. So have a wonderful week. Remi just a reminder, there are two things on the back. If you want to be part of the teams that are going up to London next week and the week after to the church there, please put your name on there. And then also Christmas carol service info as well. Have a brilliant day and a good week.